Good morning. Herb, Oscar, Anderson. Hello again, and welcome back to the return of the Morning Mayor Season 2. It is great to talk to you all once again, and thank you, as always, for spending your time with us because there's plenty of other options out there, but obviously you think ours is a good one. So we appreciate you coming along on this ride with us. Ladies, today we are talking about dancing. The the old fad dances from back in the day. Fad, F-A-D, fad dances from back in the day. Uh, Carla, did you do any of them that made your parents go crazy when you did them? Did they tell you to stop? John, no, because when I was dancing, I was dancing disco. Didn't you have a tiara? I was the disco queen of the Gemini Room in Fort Pierce, Florida. It was a weekly run contest, and uh, yeah, they were sort of uh, getting to the bottom of the barrel when I won my tiara, but I still have it. What was the move? What was your move you did? It was not necessarily a move, but we had to be interviewed by judges. And I think I got a tiara and a little statue of a person looking like they're doing the John Travolta move. And I think I got homemade crocheted pot holders and some kitchen towels. That's what you won for getting for for the really? (laughs) Is that how old were you? I was probably ten. <laughs> no disco. This is this 19, is. Well, this would have been 1978. Okay, so You're so 18. let's just 17. Six. Can we talk about age-appropriate prizes here for a minute? Uh, 1978. You were you were a teenager, and you couldn't wait to get home and use those crocheted pot holders. Well, I think every woman in the bar was a, it was considered up for the prize but you see it was every tuesday night if i'm not mistaken which was ladies night mm. and you know i never drank and Everyone i was, was at, at the, the bar, bar drinking every and you were out night. dancing yes i was out <laughs> dancing and everybody else was smashed so i looked you know i didn't stumble that much oh very very <laughs> hey, hey, hey baby hey baby <laughs> can i one that could stand up and had rhythm you know pretty good rhythm so yes hey, hey baby you're a good dancer why don't you take these potholders home to your parents they can make me tell 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 hoa that there's plenty more where those potholders came from john it was quite it was a proud moment of my life uh-huh. to be the gemini room disco queen but enough about my great past, my history was, of, of dancing. We're going to talk about Joey D. Hold on. One more question. Lounge. One more question. Okay, was the Gemini Room like a, like a B-grade Studio 54? Yes, John. We had... I think you're getting a little hostile with me on my Gemini hostile? Room. Hostile? I don't like these questions. I'm very particular about I don't this. like the prizes that they gave you for your awesome dancing. I'm a little upset about this. these, these crocheted potholders and dish towels. But it's, John, as if, it's as if they, they knew you were going to go home and do dishes when you got done. Like, here, you can take or, these home to your parents. clean up the bar. Well, clean up the bar. Put too. me behind the bar and wipe it down. But no, it was... It was such a great moment in my life that when I walked through that door, I did not have to get stamped or or pay anything. I just got free right to the dance floor. right to the dance floor, and right next door was a bar called Frankie and Johnny's, which was country western. So there was a great divide between one and the other. 
But yes, it was like Studio 54 in Florida. So very similar, probably <laughs> a modern day age peppermint lounge, maybe. Yes, but there were no celebrities. No celebrities. And nobody, and no was, Joey doing, D. nobody was doing the twist. In fact, I think the worm just started coming out. So it was sort of the end of <laughs> disco. Did you do the worm? No. Did I, you not try? with the heels I had on. Did you try? John. At home. Not 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 at the at the at the Is that club. Where you lay on the floor and you did yeah. That was did you work. practice these moves at home before it was time to go and and like compete? Did you have a no no John I, I it was all an organic moment for me. Very good. Look at that look at that Anderson girl. She really has a lot of rhythm to her. <laughs> Make sure we give her a dish towel and a pot holder. <laughs> yeah, it was quite a moment. Quite a moment, but oh, Joey D wasn't dear. there because Joey D sure he surely would have won because he would have jumped from the ceiling and proceeded to do the peppermint twist, which he is uh, quite a character and has quite a story to tell. So I hope you enjoy it. And in Florida, nothing says good dancing like a dish towel. Let's just start. You grew up in New Jersey, correct? Passaic, New Jersey, the home of the Shirelles. Okay, okay. And I know a lot of people in New Jersey and New York City and Connecticut. Uh, that was pretty much my dad's stomping ground, I guess you could say. Uh, did you listen to him or do you remember him? I remember him very vividly. Your dad was one of a kind. And uh, on the station he was on, WABC, that I remember, because <clears throat> he got to New York I think in the late fifties and then he went to WBC in 60. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started to prep Milano, September of 1960. Right. And that's where I started my career. I left New Jersey and I knew if I was going to make it anywhere, it would have to be in New York city. So I uh, took the band and we went to this little nightclub called the peppermint lounge. And uh, we, we made a landmark out of it and they made stars out of us. Now, could you just go in off of the street or, you know, how, how, do, how were you able to perform there? Well, the uh, place is at uh, 128 West uh, 45th Street between 6th and 7th Avenues. People that know New York City or don't. Uh, and it was uh, very convenient to the theater district. It was right in the heart of it. And that is how we got our success. The wonderful actress... Merle Oberon came in with the New York columnist, Charlie Knickerbocker, one night to get in out of the rain because to go from the theater to where the cars were parked, they, they had to walk past the Peppermint Lounge. And they heard the music, and I guess they said, well, let's have a nightcap uh, before we go home. And they stopped in. And fortunately for me, at the time, I was doing Hank Ballard's version of The Twist. And Merle Oberon thought it was a hoot, I guess. She said, I'm going to go up and dance with those kids. And, and Charlie Knickerbocker, uh, I could see him admonishing her and telling her, don't, don't do that. And she said, no, I'm going to do that. I want to have some fun. She got up there and danced with the kids. And he wrote about it in the, the, the New York paper the next day. And it was just a phenomenon. Uh, the next day we had more people come in, more society people, more people of uh, notoriety. And it was just, uh, they didn't spend a dime on advertising. The permanent lounge didn't. And the place became world famous. Well, who were some of the celebrities? Because I, I read that 
uh, interesting little bio about you, but who was there? It, it's an easier list. If It's a shorter list if you say who wasn't there. Anyone who was famous in the early 1960s came to the Peppermint Lounge. John Wayne, the Duke, I got to shake his hand. Nat King Cole, uh, Marilyn Monroe, the uh, Beatles, which I'll get to a little story about them later. The uh, Rolling Stones, Ava Gardner. uh, Well, one of my my all-time favorites, Judy Garland, was there almost every night. And I danced with her just about every night. Shelley Winter, Shirley MacLaine. Uh, the list is endless. Uh, like I said, uh, Jackie Kennedy, Ted Kennedy, uh, Senator Jacob Javits. Uh, uh, we had royalty, the Duke and Duchess of Bedford from uh, England. So uh, it's very apropos now with the, the crowning of uh, King Charles. But uh, it's, it, it was just an amazing place to be in. And each night there'd be a new uh a, a set of celebrities coming in to see a kid from a blue collar family, uh, mother and dad, both born in Italy. I was first generation American born in Passaic, New Jersey. And, uh, they were coming to see this kid from a blue collar family, uh, do, doing his, doing his thing at the Peppermint Lounge with, with uh, a wonderful, wonderful band. Now, and I have it, to ask you, did it, you like, uh, pinch yourself and were you just like i can't What's believe happening? this yeah <laughs> yeah it, it it was uh it was it was a dream it was surreal almost i i was saying to myself what the heck is going on here and, and it happened i was there for already uh one year because it didn't really start until october of 1961 when i wrote the peppermint twist but i had been there for a year already and we built up a great audience because at the time, New York City was an 18-year-old drinking age. So the people from the environs like Connecticut and New Jersey where the drinking age was 21, they would come come to New York just to be able to, to legally drink. And that was uh, part of the the draw of the uh, Peppermint Lounge. They had that uh, ability to serve uh, what I considered minors in in Jersey and uh, Connecticut. But uh, the the place was just uh, it it was supposedly by by fire law. I think it was supposed to be two hundred and fifty people was a maximum. Well, we had over six hundred people there, and some nights. And 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 all distinguished people on my head. It, it was sad in a way because the kids that made the place famous uh, later on, when the place became what it did, uh, were not able to to get into the Peppermint Lounge anymore. Because, but but I had some favorites and I got them in there. So I they said that it was like when that actress Merle Oberon showed up and she was in Weathering Heights and a lot of great older movies, um, that they had to have police put up barricades. Is that true? That the, that that's, that's exactly right. And, and they have it in, in the archives of, uh, all the, the news, NBC, CBS, ABC, and, and, uh, the daily news and the daily mirror at the time, they all, uh, wrote about it 
And it was just an amazing, uh, amazing phenomenon that this all took place in such a short time. And they had to have uh, uh, police on, on horseback, actually, to to uh, take care of the crowds because the crowds would extend between 6th and 7th Avenue down the Broadway and around the corner. It was, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I still pinch myself and say, this didn't really happen. Now, but it really did. Now, were you able, as a as a, just anyone, to get in there? Did you have to be part of a club? Like, was it just open to anyone that could, if they could get in line yeah, and get the, in? Pretty much, yeah. As long as you had a $20 bill or a $50 bill in your hand, mm. uh, you you gain access. Unless you were uh, royalty or celebrities. Wow. That's great. Unbelievable. And you started, yeah, because we, we were in Hell's Kitchen, man, <laughs> and that that was our audience. We had hookers and sailors from the Navy base in Brooklyn, and and uh, and the dock workers, and 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 the, the the real people, I call them. Oh, yeah. And they they came in there and they they made the place famous. There was a place up the street a little bit on West Forty Fifth called the Wagon Wheel, which was our competition. When I first went to the Peppermint Lounge. If we had a dozen people in there a night, that that would have been a lot of people, and they would have two to three hundred. It was much bigger than the Peppermint Lounge, and I used to go in there, and uh, they 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 were very uh, nice to me, considering I was a competition, quote unquote, and we uh, we had a band that I'm so very proud of, and. The major, the most uh, major accomplishment in my career, as far as I'm concerned, is I had the first integrated band in. Think of this: in 1960, an integrated band in the middle, the heart of New York City, and we were the first band to have a number one record on Billboard. I saw that was integrated. I saw that you had uh, uh, three in the front. You were all dancing, and it was uh, one black gentleman in the center i don't know who he who who was he when you were doing his that. name is roger rogers freeman okay and uh, he was and i'll tell you how th that got to be and um i always said that the most uh, democratic uh way to to really realize that you're an american is through sports or entertainment Mm -hmm. And it was just amazing that I picked the best musicians and the best singers. I went out. I had a band called Joey D and the Starlighters. And all we played was instrumentals because I wasn't uh, a legitimate singer. I was just an alto saxophone player. And I would go out and I said, well, in order for me to enhance this group and get get us to uh, record abil recording ability, I went out and got the two best doo-wop group singers. Now, they couldn't get any gigs because they didn't have any, any band to go along with the singing. So I went out and got Rogers Freeman, uh, also from New Jersey. We're all Jersey boys. And David Bergatti was with a group called The High Fives. He had some success with a group called the High Fives, and, and they had a song called uh, Dorothy on Decca Records. So he had uh, uh, secured some success prior to coming with me. And I had to, to talk uh, to both of these guys and say, listen, we can have the best group in the country if you two guys would join the, 
join Joey D and the Starlighters. We'll be the band. We'll be the backup. You guys do all the great singing. And you know what? I was right. I was right on target because that's exactly what happened. And then uh, I hired the band. Uh, starting, we did the Ted Mack show in 1958, and that's when your dad came to New York. Just about, you know, So our our uh, careers are confluences of each other. Right. We we got here at the same time, and it couldn't have been better because, you know, we had the. Uh, uh, issues with integration, of course. We had the Vietnam War. We had the uh, the beginning of uh, women's lib because now the pill came out and and women got a little more <laughs> bold, I guess <laughs> you call it. And uh, they made the uh, rock and roll stars out of us. And and I wasn't complaining, but at the time I was married and I had two children. And uh, I wasn't a very faithful husband, to be perfectly honest. And I have a book called The Peppermint Twist Chronicles, which you can get on Amazon or right. at the Joey D uh, website. And it's a great book. And it tells a story. And it, it tells about all the, the fun and all the great people that were in my band, uh, i.e., uh, how about Joe Pesci, who was my guitar player. Yeah. Can't believe that. Uh, and, he, and the first movie he ever appeared in was Hey Let's Twist, the movie I did for Paramount. He asked me, he said, Joey, can you get me in the movie? And he was a regular at the Peppermint. And I said, I'll ask uh, the director and see what he says. And I asked him and he said, uh, can he can he dance? I said, he's a great dancer. And he was. And he, he that was the first movie he ever appeared in, Hey Let's Twist. Then um, the Ronettes came in one night and they asked if they could sing with us. And being from Saic, New Jersey, the home of the Shirelles, uh, they gave me my first opportunity. They got me an audition with their record label, Scepter Records, with uh, Florence Greenberg, who owned it company. She was also from Passaic, New Jersey. And uh, I had my first recording contract with uh, Scepter. So when the Ronettes asked if they could sing with me, I said, well, they look so great and they dance so great. How, how can they miss? Even if they can't sing, it would be wonderful. And they came, I got them up on stage and we were doing a song by Ray Charles called What I Say. And Ronnie and the girls, Nedra and Estelle, they started singing it and tore the house down. They 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 just were special. And I knew they were going to be somebody someday. And while they, I hired them immediately, I had to go to Spanish Harlem to meet the, the parents and, and the family. And they said, uh, they can go with you, but you have to understand they're, they're only 16, 17 years old. So we did some uh, shore gigs down, we called shore down New Jersey. And we did Wildwood, New Jersey, and we did a couple other places. And they were just fantastic. And while they were with me, they were recording Be My Baby hmm. with the infamous Phil Spector, so, uh, who I have a very low esteem for. But anyway, that's another story. We've heard that quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> quite a bit. But yeah. you, but you yeah, he also... he could make records, but he was, he was a monster. So you also had... I guess very famous guitarist of all time, Jimi Hendrix. Well, didn't you? well, yeah, uh, it's it's amazing. In 1965, I opened a nightclub called Joey D's Starlighter, 
and it was on West 46th Street. And uh, the band was going through some changes, and I needed a guitarist, and I had uh, a drummer with me by the name of Jimmy Mays, who was from Chicago, and he knew every musician in New York. And he said, well, Joey, we got to have this guitar player. And I said, Jimmy, we need a guitar player right away. I got some gigs coming up. And he said, there's this dude just got off the road with Little Richard and the Isley Brothers, but they didn't like him because he had too much showmanship. I said, well, that's exactly what I'm looking for. So I had uh, my nephew and Jimmy go from Lodi, New Jersey, where I was living at the time, to New York City, pick up Jimmy Hendrix. At the time, it was Maurice James. That was his uh, his name okay. <laughs> known to me when, I, when he came to Jersey. And he said, uh, Mr. B, what do you want me to play? I said, first of all, my name's Joey. Secondly, I want you to play what you like to play. So he started playing this guitar upside down, left hand. I said, what the hell is going on there? <laughs> and he played some Curtis Mayfield songs. And, and I'm an R&B guy. Once I heard that, I said, man, that, that, that's just fantastic. So it, to, uh, to celebrate his being hired by me, this is 1965. He lights up a joint in my house <laughs> and my wife is there and I got two young kids and I'm, and my wife came in and said, what do you think you're doing? And she unceremoniously kicked him out of our house. He said, get out of my house right now. I have two little kids up, up there and this is not acceptable to me. And I, I couldn't, uh, argue with her she was exactly right well and i you know being a musician i had never never did any drugs and that's probably why i'm still here but i drank a lot of whiskey and i <laughs> i was a, a, a feminizer well, I, I loved the women and that was it but she chased him out and as he was leaving i yelled out the door i said you got the gig i'll see you friday <laughs> well it's all in the book i mean there's some great stories in the book well let me just talk about the book because the full it's was amazon's top selling book about music so i i i didn't think you gave yourself very much credit there and it's uh, it's my true story of sex, rock and roll, Jimi Hendrix, fighting racism, and the mob. I mean, that is quite a quite a, a lot in there. Yeah, a lot in there. Yeah. And well, and then there's uh, another group we can't uh, bypass. The I put a group together to be in my nightclub, the Starlighter, and three of the four were the Young Rascals, Felix Cavalieri, oh. Eddie Bergotti, and Gene Cornish, everybody but Dino Donnelli, who unfortunately passed and passed by uh, a while ago, and he, he, was, he was a fantastic drummer. But I had a great drummer, too, named Ricky Channon, so I didn't want to change my drummer. And uh, they, they sounded so good together, they started rehearsing, and they went out to... Uh, Long Island, and uh, they got discovered by Atlantic Records. Yeah, the Little Rascals. They but had quite a they, career. The Young Rascals, oh, yes. Yeah. Little Rascals. <laughs> yes, thank you, Jim. Thank you, the other guy. <laughs> but that was cool. I liked it. Oh, wow. Oh, that's amazing, though. But also, uh, I guess you did a tour of Europe, and you had somebody open for you that was very going to be very that's famous? exactly what I was alluding to earlier when I said the Beatles came into the Peppermint Lounge in uh, 
November of 1963, we did a date in Stockholm, Sweden, and the, our opening act was the Beatles. Wow. And uh, they had just started having some success in Europe with uh, Please Please Me. I think that was their first recording that they had uh, a hit with. And uh, they were they were just magical. They were super. But I knew we were going to have to bring our A game to that gig because after they were done, the crowd went crazy. And I said to myself, okay, Joey, pull out all the stops. We're going for it. And and we did, and and we were the uh, success that we were supposed to be. And, but uh, I threw a party for them that night because I was so impressed with them at a place called the Hotel Foresta in Stockholm, and uh, it was it was wonderful. We had a smorgasbord, we had lots of beer and lots of whiskey and lots of women, of course. Well, you're talking, because uh, I'm a Swede, so I know. Uh, smorgasbord <laughs> well, and it, all that. I would have fit right in. But I, I just wanted, yeah, I wanted to ask you a, a, a question about um, a lot of the disc jockeys that we've talked to in the first segment of our, our thing about the return of the morning mayor, my father. Uh, everybody always said to us, what year was it, Sue? Was it 1964 or 1965? Where they came into the into this. I worked with them in '63, and then uh, George Harrison said to me, "We're coming to the states in January, so that'll be January '64." '64. And uh, I said, uh, "Stop by the Pembroke." He said, "I promise you, we will." And being, you know, a little <laughs> skeptical and from a Jersey boy, mm -hmm. I said, yeah, you'll be here. Okay. And you know what? They all, all four of them came to the Peppermint Lounge to see Joey D and the Starlighters. So, so did people uh, know who they were over. then? Like, did, were they, uh, you know, were they the phenomenon? Oh, yeah. They, they, so they were already, the they were already, they, they were, they were, uh, doing the, uh, the Ed Sullivan show and Shea Stadium and, yeah, I would say to people who they were, but the, and it, they kind of kind of killed my career and yeah. all, um, most of the American careers. Yeah, that's with what the exception I, of I was going to say. Frankie Valley is that Frankie Valley, the Four Seasons, good friends of mine, and uh, and the Beach Boys, and maybe Bobby Vinton and Motown, and and that was it. That's, and all the rest of us were shunted aside. Well, that's what I was going to say with the disc jockeys. They said the music all changed um, in 1964 when the Beatles came. And you just sort of... You know, the British hit, invasion, right? Hit, just, the, hit the nail on the exactly head. That's exactly right. Now, yes. what, uh, was it... Because we just learned a lot about New York and the Brill Building and just how it was so accessible to people just to come in and I got a song and this and that, it just seems like things were so accessible to anybody uh, where now. Exactly. Prior, here, here's the deal. Prior to uh, the, the British invasion, like she so aptly said, uh, Su Suzanne, right? Correct. Is that, yeah. That's right. And, and you're, you hit the nail right on the head. Uh, I knew groups that in the afternoon, see, back then, the business was entirely different. There must have been 100 independent record companies in New York City. So some of these groups, Johnny Maestro and uh, uh, Little Anthony, they could actually knock on the door in the afternoon 
uh, there'd be a piano player there. They'd sing the song. And if they liked it, they'd be in the studio that night. I mean, he had access to to the possibility of become a re- becoming a record star. And uh, it, it is no longer that way, unfortunately, I must say. But uh, it, w- it was so great. And uh, this interview is is about uh, one of my idols and one of my heroes, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, your dad, you know, Anderson, I should have thought he was a Swede, you yeah. know. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that was so cool. But he was such a cool guy. And I want to tell you, here's here's how it worked. He, he started off in the mornings, and that's when I'd be coming home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice so I'd, be, I'd be listening. Yeah. When I did come home, <laughs> when I found my way home. But anyway, and I just loved the guy to death because he was like I was. I, I come from a family of 10 children. I have five sisters and four brothers. And like I said, my parents, Catholics, of course, and Italian, and they had a lot of children. And my, I, I was the, I was number eight in line. So I got the benefit of listening to all the great big band music uh, like your dad did. Yes. So I love the big band stuff. So now when your dad came on, I would listen to WABC, and that was the only station I would listen to. And he was the only guy I would listen to because I felt like um, I was only a kid at the time, like he was, but I felt he, like he was the only adult in the room. And all the other guys, and Cousin Bruce, he's a dear, dear friend of mine, he was with, with them, Scott Muni, mm-hmm. uh, they catered more to the, to the kids. And, and I got that. That's what it was all about. But your dad catered to my mom, my sisters, my brothers, and to Joey D. I love listening, you know, hello again. Yes, yes. And that was it. And we were off to the races, man. Yeah. And then he played all kinds of music. He didn't just play rock and roll. He he, because he played Rosemary Clooney and Perry Como and all that other stuff, which I love because I grew up with that. Right. But yeah. but he was he he was uh, not only um, I wouldn't call him a disc jockey. He was a personality. Yeah, that's because a lot he, of people he did, he did it so all. Nice. He, he was so special. We and, just had a way of connecting with people. I, I am too young to to know. I was not there to listen to him, but I've heard him. And it just seems like he had a way of connecting with people. And I don't know. He just felt like well, you knew he, him or he was your friend or you just had a way way about him. And it just was exactly almost like he right. wasn't he, there to do a certain so job. Amicable. He was doing what he wanted. Oh, man. He, he, he did it uh, to the extreme. And then you got to remember, I got five sisters, right? And then he starts playing the stripper, man. Da, 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 da. And my sisters and my mother, they'd all be dancing around the house. So look at this. Here's a guy on the radio. He can he can make a whole family in New Jersey and, and around the tri-state area. I'll bet they're all dancing, not just my family. And he was just special. He was, he was something else. Well, it was a magical, magical time. And uh, I remember, I just thought my father came out of the, you know, out of my radio in my house. But I remember going to New York City with my mom and the windows were rolled down. And I 
I heard his voice coming out of all the cars. And that was sort of like when I realized, hey, uh, my father's everywhere. <laughs> He's, He's like, a big shot. You're yeah. exactly right. But he never he was a he, superstar. He, he, he never was, though. You know, he never. Um, no, no, he was a low key guy. He, yeah, he he played it like I played it. I think. Yeah, and we had a lot in common. We we were uh, similar sorts. Yeah, uh, I you know I I took my uh, my celebrity with a grain of salt. And I said it's no big deal. I made some hit records, so what? And I'm sure that's how your your dad was. Said I I do what I do, and people like it, and that's great. Well, and he, then that's he how wanted we both to felt. sing, though. You know, he really really wanted to sing and and he could yeah he could if he had gotten the right song you know uh he could have been a he could have been a vocalist a hit vocalist just one record had made it for him well he had an album but, but, but he couldn't but, they couldn't play it you know at that time they couldn't play anything he couldn't it's not like now where they say hey uh, uh this is my grandmother's recipes and you know <laughs> now the way they self promote yeah, exactly. you could not self promote back then there was no way no way so right uh, yeah but when he came on you can hear the gleefulness in his, his voice and he was happy to be there he i always said i never had to go to work you know why because I loved what I was doing and I love what I am doing and I'm still doing it. Yeah. And I'll be in Westbury, uh, in September. Oh, <laughs> I wow. mean, and the beat goes, the beat goes on, man. It's so, incredible. So you still enjoy it, obviously. Like you're saying, if you loved it so much, it wasn't work, but you're still doing yeah, it. Yeah. Just like you, I'm sure your dad looked, he couldn't wait to wake up to, to probably had to be five o'clock in the morning when he got up or six earlier and, than that. And, <laughs> he was okay. up at, at three. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. And, but I, I'll bet you a nickel that he, he never went to work. Well, you know what, what he loved? He loved uh, the common people. Like you were talking very much of the Peppermint Lounge. The people who made that lounge were just exactly. the dock workers. And that's who made my father. My father. That's who made me. Yeah. Loved the everyday person. He loved the baker, the candlestick maker, the person that mowed your lawn. He, uh, you know, he had a really hard childhood and he was always looking for. Yeah, I, I, I know. I know about it. And, yeah. And it was so nice of me. He took his mother back and and he, that's the kind of guy he was. Yeah. It, I mean, he's very forgiving and it, he, he could have turned the other cheek. He became a superstar in his own realm. But uh, he, he was uh, he was a good man. I'll bet he was a religious man, too. I'm not sure of that, but. I know I am. Yeah, well, he was in his own his own way. You know, he had a very strong belief in God. Uh, my mother. Yeah, that's it, exactly. My Same mother, who's me. Catholic, who's, you know, been on her knees praying every day <laughs> for the, her whole right? life. And she's going to be 94. You know, she's the God one bless. that pulled us through uh, many times. But, yeah, my dad was, uh, he was a very genuine person. And I think that is, I, I started this and... Uh, because I wrote a script about my father's life, something that he had done when he was younger in 1974. And it was very hard for him to talk about. And after he passed away, I stumbled upon it. And I thought, you know, I think this is just a story that is just so encouraging. And and so it must be told. And I'm so proud of you that you you picked up the mantle and, and you're running with it. And and that's great because he deserves the hum 
the homage that you're paying to him. Well, you know, it's a it's a story of somebody who really, literally, against everything, and also just against himself. all odds, against all odds, right? Just should himself. never happen. Yeah, it shouldn't have never happened. It shouldn't have. Same with me. Yeah, it should but, never happen with me as well. So That's, I have to ask the, you the, the common the last qu- thing on your book. It says fighting racism and the mob. So I have to ask, what was the mob? Because I have a very, uh, I am fascinated by the mob. Um. Yeah, uh, and most people are. <laughs> yes. And they go back to Al Capone and yes, then, yes, <laughs> and Meyer Lansky and all. Yeah, and and it is interesting. And The Sopranos is a great show. And yeah, uh, I, I and The Godfather. What was oh. better than that? Oh. Goodfellas and all yep. the other stuff that Pesci did. Yep. Um, yep. Uh, it, it's uh, intriguing, uh, not something that should be emulated, but something that uh, you can say, wow, they, wow, this really happened. Yeah, it really happened because I was there. Morris Levy was the president of Roulette Records. Morris Levy was owned by the Genovese family. Okay. There are five families in New York, and we all know about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, Morris Levy, when it uh, came time, I got my first royalty check in the mail, and I I'm I'm figuring I got the number one record, the number yeah. two album in the country, the Peppermint the only, Twist. Uh, yeah, that was number one worldwide. Mm-hmm. So I'm figuring royalties. Wow, wow, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be a, a multimillionaire. Well, I the first statement I got was I owed. Roulette Records, $13,000. Oh, said, how the hell can I owe it? <laughs> what? Yeah. But, but now when I found out that it, I was dealing with the Genovese family, uh, I think I'd be better off keeping my mouth shut. And eventually he did, Mars did give me a check for $13,000 plus. So that's what I got for all my royalties. And he said, kid, he had a very raspy voice. This is how it works. I get the record royalties. You get the performances. And he was right. And and I had a wonderful career and a wonderful life. And I raised seven children off of, off of my career. And and I I have no regrets other than uh, maybe my philandering and and over and drinking too much. And uh, it's it's all in the book. And and Mark, unbeknownst to me. Uh, Genovese, they also owned the Peppermint Lounge. They owned everything in in entertainment. Everybody had their own own deal. And the Genovese family, they had the entertainment, the records and and the nightclubs. So the nightclub, just a quick quick question. I'll go finish. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, I was going to say about the lounge. So just I've read a little about the lounge. So it wasn't there for too long, and it looks like they lost their liquor license. So was that something out of the ordinary or is that somehow related to the, the family? Well, first, firstly, um, they, they had, a uh, retired captain Ralph Segezi, uh, as the, the front for, so, so he was able to get a liquor license. He was a retired New York city, uh, captain, police captain. So he got the license. And, uh, when I first got there, it was called a gangplank. And that's really what it should have been. It was a game. It was like a pirate show. <laughs> but uh, there were more. There were more fights and brawls in that place before it became famous. It, it was like a John Wayne movie <laughs> and a, a cowboy movie. And and it was. 
that's how it was. And when I got my license, I had uh, very much difficulty to obtain that in 1965. But the great uh, columnist and and uh, very astute person, Dorothy Kilgallen, though you may have heard the name, she got me my – she said – Joey, when are you opening your nightclub? Because she knew I was uh, in quest of that. And I said, uh, well, they're giving me a problem. She put an, an article in the paper the next day. Two days later, I got the, the letter with with my uh, New York City uh, liquor license. Wow. So she got me my liquor license. But let's talk a little bit. You, you I mean, you're an author. You're a, a songwriter. You're a musician, um, band leader, An entertainer. entertainer, and also you were a movie star. You did a couple movies as well. I did. Yeah, I did two movies, one for Paramount called Hey, Let's Twist, and both about the Peppermint Lounge, and the second one was called Two Tickets to Paris for Columbia Pictures. So these, these were, uh, you know, big shot companies, and they gave me good uh, co-stars to work with, Teddy Randazzo, uh, Joanne Campbell, uh, Charles Nelson Riley, uh, Kay, uh, um, I can't think of what I said, I'm sorry, from the, from uh, from uh, Two Tickets to Paris, uh, Kay Medford. She was a Broadway star. So, I mean, they gave, gave us all great people to work with. And the guy that, uh, Hal Hackaday, who was uh, – the uh, director of both movies, he uh, became the director of the D. Martin show. So I, I had all great people. And I had Henry Glover, who was the uh, A&R man for Roulette Records. He and I wrote the Peppermint Twist on one Sunday afternoon in about an hour and a half. Oh, wow. In the back of the Peppermint Lounge. It was just an amazing, it, it was just something that was going to happen with or without my help. And, and, and it was great. It was just a wonderful experience. And Henry, Henry, uh, Glover who worked for roulette and, uh, co-wrote a peppermint twist with me was a great talent. He produced Hank Ballard and the Midnighters. He produced, uh, James Brown. He produced, uh, um, some great jazz artists and that, Morris Levy, for all his, his faults and, and his, his background, he could tell hit records. He got Tommy uh, Tommy James on the label. He heard Hanky Panky, and he said, that's a hit record. And he sure was. And 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 Tommy James and I and, and Lou Christie were all on, on roulette, and uh, none of us got paid. <laughs> uh, Tommy got paid later. But uh, that that's how it was back then. And you became a star, and you you went out, and you earned a lot of money, and, and I did. I mean, I was making five thousand a night. That's obscene in 1961, 62. Wow. Yeah, that's five thousand dollars a night. It's crazy and, money. And then I did the, I did the New Year's Eve show with uh, Murray Decay at the Brooklyn Fox. We did ten days there, and listen listen to the lineup. There, there'd be ten stars on on the show, and it was. Um, Johnny Mathis, Bobby Rydell, Dionne Warwick, the Shirelles, Johnny Maestro and the Crest, Larry Chance and the Earls. Uh, I mean, ad infinitum. I mean, yeah, the, the, the Isley brothers. And, and you know what was so great about it? 
this was the beginning of integration. The music did it because, I mean, you know, as much as I respect Pat Boone, do you want to hear him sing Tutti Frutti or would you rather hear Little Richard sing it? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, are you are you kidding me? And, 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 and Pat Boone was great and he still is and he's a good guy. But uh, when he came to rock and roll, I, I was an R&B guy. I, I listened to WNJR as long as, uh, as well as WABC when I was coming home, like I told you, and listening to your dad. And, and, and I'm not saying I was listening to your dad because I'm talking to you because you're his daughter. I listened to him because he was great, man. And he had his own style. He was inimitable. He had his own way of performing. And, and he, he included the whole family in his show. That's what I loved about it because I was all about family. Right. Except when it came to my wife and my kids. <laughs> well, wait one second here. Forgetting, in, forgetting in my def- way home. Wait one second. In your defense, <laughs> yeah. um, you had, uh, in a very short period of time, you had nightclub success. You had a top number one song. Then you had uh, another uh, big seller, which was Shout, wasn't that? Yes. And, yes. That was the... In, in a movie, uh, I tip my hat to the right to the Isley Brothers because they were the right. They had the the best version of it. Well, still if today, it, if anybody, and so many people did. It, who was but f- my my record was the only one to make the top ten in Billboard for some obscene reason. I don't know why, but it made number six in Billboard. And that was that was a heck of a you know you make the top ten in Billboard, you're you're doing something. So just to uh, to say what song that is, if anybody is an Animal House fan, um, it there you go. It, it's used exactly. in, in a party scene. So if you <laughs> You know, no Animal House. That's you want to raise your hands up and shout. Big wedding song too. Yeah. Oh, is it? Oh yeah, everybody wed- at the weddings would play it all. <laughs> oh, I didn't know. And that. everybody yep. twists, and then they can't stand back up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> They're not strong enough. Uh, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Well, I I I did the shout in in my uh, show ever since I heard it by the Isley Brothers, and uh, I uh, went and did a a show up in. Uh, in New Hampshire in a college and unbeknownst to me, the guys that wrote animal house were there and they, instead of hiring me to do shout, they hired Otis day in the nights. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and I went to the, to the, to the grand opening, Bette Midler was there and Belushi and this one and that one, and Ackroyd. And, and it was a, a great, great experience. But, uh, I always felt, uh, that I was overlooked by they're not using my version of shout in, in the movie, but it, it all turned out great. The movie was great, but I, I went to the, I was to the premiere and, and I got to meet all these, these wonderful people. It was, it was great. I have in hindsight, I have very few regrets. I have two in particular in the recording field because Morris Levy told me, I have a hit record for you, Joey, after my career was on the wane. And he said, uh, it's on a Tommy James album. I said, but maybe Tommy wants it because he had a Crimson and Clover album mm-hmm. out. This is the late sixties. And he said, no, I, there's another song on it. And it's a big hit. And I turned it down. I, I listened to it. And I said, no, it's not for me. He said, I'm just going to take Tommy's voice off and put yours on and it'll be the same record. And I said, no, I can't do that. So the record was uh, uh, Crystal Blue Persuasion. 
Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. I was right. And, yeah. and then How would you I, I was also offered twist and shout. I did peppermint twist and I did shout. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying, well, how hokey is this? I can't, I can't do that. I can't do twist and shout right after I did peppermint twist and shout and the dummy that I was, I should have done it. <laughs> well, you had a lot of things <laughs> so going. The brothers did it, it. It. Yeah, but so I made a couple of mistakes. But you know what? Like I said, in hindsight, it's been a hell of a ride. That's a great way to look at it. Yeah. You know? It just- well, it's such a special time and you've painted a really special picture around it because it's it's so nice to talk with you and just you're down to earth and just just remembering all the things that you remember from that time. That's what I found so amazing. It seems like it's so vivid in your memory and and it really paints a picture for those of us that weren't there. And I think that's a big part of what we're trying to get across to people, obviously remembering Carla's dad, but more so, you know, as we've learned through this project is, is to just really understand what it was like back then. Yeah. And just what Suzanne, was happening. It, it was a wonderful time. While I'm singing in the Peppermint Lounge, I go down to the village and see Bob Dylan in the Cafe Wa. I mean, yeah. what everything was going on there. Every nightclub had a, had a live band. That's why it was so easy for me to get great musicians and great singers. Because if you wanted to make it, you had to go to L.A. or you had to go to New York City. And most of the great musicians came to New York City. And that's how I got Jimi Hendrix and the Rascals and the Ronettes and uh, you know, the, the low hanging fruit, as they say, you know, it, it was so easy for me to, to get these wonderful people and be in the same group. Joe Pesci. I mean, come on. Charles Neville from the Neville Brothers was my sax player. But I, like I said, my 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 biggest uh, accomplishment, I think, was integrating my band and and i was told by a lot especially the wise guys they didn't they didn't like that and a lot of them frequented the peppermint lounge and he said get rid of the the n-word get rid of these guys Mm -hmm. and and i and i said no that's this is my band and this i'm sticking with it yeah that's great well i i did i stuck to my guns and they they loved the band and uh and that was it and they loved the music and 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 obviously showed around the country and around the world. And here, here's a little aside that's also in the book. I met uh, uh, Lawrence of Arabia, okay? Mm-hmm. As he, uh, I was working at a place called Trudy Heller's down in the village as in 1967, 68, right around there. And while I'm there, uh, P- Pierre O'Toole comes in t- to Trudy Heller's. And he came up to me as I came off the stage during the break, and he said, I have to talk to you. And I said, yes. And first of all, I was flabbergasted and honored. Peter O'Toole wanted to meet me. He said, when I was out in the desert making Lawrence of Arabia, the only connection I had to what was going on in the world was your album, Doing the Twist at the Peppermill Lounge. I mean... How the hell do you react to that? Really, I, right. I, what do you say? I, 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 <laughs> Thank I was you. so over, overwhelmed. Yeah. I was so what overwhelmed. A Here's a guy. Yeah. It, what a great feeling that was. Mm. And 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 getting back to your dad, he he that he he was the all American celebrity uh, radio host. I, I I don't know how to put it any differently because. 
the, the guy was uh, a one of a kind, a rara abis, I call it. He was just the one one guy who stuck out and, and he had competition, but the competition was with the young, young people. Your dad had no competition because he was the family guy. Yeah. yeah. He was a guy for, he was a guy for, for all people. Well, and really- like you said, you, you know, the biggest thrill I got one, one time leaving the peppermint lounge, I was noticed by the, by the garbage men picking up the garbage and it, Joey D, how you doing, man? And that was the biggest compliment to me than the Duke and Duchess of Bedford saying hello to yeah, me. Yeah. And that would be just like your dad. Yeah. You know? And uh, it's so nice to hear your perspective on, you know, a radio personality as a performer rather than just an average listener. It's really a really yeah. neat perspective and as well. It, both of you guys, you know, the the music and the disc jockey went hand in hand and it was uh it it was a, a magic time. It was a really magic time, and and you know thank oh, you. Oh, and it, I don't ever foresee it happening again. No, and I don't know why we have such animosity in in our country, and it's all uh, it's all about politics. Let's become one country. We're the United States of America. That's We're right. all Americans. My right. parents were born in Italy, and I have a lot of the heritage, but I'm an American. Right. And that's, that's right. what we should proud, all be thinking. Proud to be uh, one. What's good we just for the all, country. We all have to be proud to be Americans again and stop yep. worrying about stop worrying about everything. Exactly. Just be happy. Yep. About who gets elected. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. Well, it doesn't you so matter. Much. It doesn't. No, none of it matters. So just get up, be healthy and happy and enjoy your day and go about your business and the rest and doesn't matter. Take care of your family. Exactly okay. right. Yeah. 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 Well, we want to thank you. And I am so honored that you took your time out of your life to talk to us and and your exquisite life. I mean, it's just, I'm so glad you wrote that book. And if people want to learn more, they need to get that. It's at Amazon, you know, Chronicles of My Peppermint True Story. Peppermint Twist Chronicles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the book. it's really a great read. It's 20 bucks. It's only in paperback. I only wanted it in paperback because I wanted everybody to be able to afford it. Right. Okay. And, and it's, it's a great story with the mob and Pesci and, and Hendrick. And, and I don't have to tell you what probably went on when, when I was on the road with Jimmy Hendrix. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll uh, leave that. We'll leave and, that and to the <laughs> so, Yeah, we, I mean, we, we, were a lot, we were a lot of fun to be around. I would, I would imagine. imagine. And so. you're going to be in Westbury, what you said, in, in Is that September? Connecticut? Is that Connecticut yeah. or Mass? Where? No, no, Westbury, Long Island. Long Island, Westbury, okay. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah. So you're going to be yeah. doing a show there It's a landmark. September? Okay. I'll be there in September, let me look at 9th, I think. I'm uh, walking, talking. <laughs> so... September 9th is right. Okay. And And it'll be with Tinny Vance and and Planetones. It's going to be a great show. Okay. okay. All these shows are great. Yeah. Uh, And and I I only do like maybe six to ten a year. So, uh that, that that's it. Come out and come Love out and to. see Joey D. And Love to I see can you. Still do, still do it, man. You do? You do that little jump? I was like, is that the peppermint twist twist with that jump in the middle? Like you guys are really yeah. like burning up the floor and then all of a sudden you're like ten feet in the air and back down. You don't miss a beat. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't jump as high anymore. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> we'll give you that. Well, thank it, you. It, and thanks, thanks for having me, Carla and. It- Suzanne and uh, I hope you enjoyed the conversation because that's what I thought we had. We yes, did. And it, it was, it was just, That's all it should be. Yeah. And and that that's 
you you made me very comfortable, and I I said things there. Maybe I should have said no. But no, you're all it good. It is what it is. <laughs> you're good. No, you you're made good. you made us very comfortable as well, and it's a it's a true privilege to have had a chance Talk to, to speak with you. So yeah, thank you, thank so you much. so much. Thank you, and and the and God 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 bless the rock and roll priest. He got it. Put it all yeah, together. Sure yeah, <laughs> as my dad would said, goodbye. God Father bless, Jim. and I thank you so very much. So That's thank right. you. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care. And thank you so much. Yep. God bless you. Bye. Yep. Bye-bye. Oh, we got to do the happy feeling. One more time. Do you remember? <laughs> All right, let's do it, everybody. One more time. When I was a little feller, my papa used to say to me... If you're hearing my voice right now, there's a good chance you want to hear more about HOA. The story of the man behind the morning mayor is one that certainly needs to be told, and a goal is to have this story made into a movie. The script is written, and your support will help us get to the next level. If you feel motivated to do so, click the Donate button in the About section. All proceeds will go towards seeing the story of Herbert Oscar Anderson on the big screen. Goodbye. God bless, and I thank you so very much.